Gaming NBS episode 219, coming to you December 5th, Wednesday, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad everybody's here. How you doing, man? Just glad to be here, Brett. Are you? I am. So, the hell were you thinking? <laughs> so, so in, in accordance with the year of the Kelly, which we've now realized is the year in which Sean will defy death, throw caution to the winds... And uh, have horrible Job-like plagues visited upon him. Sean, tell the listeners what happened to you. So I would not recommend anybody do this. No, th- this is a, this is PSA time. This is don't be Uncle Sean. I went and took my newly adopted dog, uh, whose name is now Seamus, for a long walk. It yes, and he was very happy to go for a long walk, probably about three miles. And at the end, near the latter end of the the second mile, or third mile, or closer to the third mile, there's a dog park. Um, so my dog, I decided to let go off the leash and stuck with me for a while, and decided to take off after some geese. And uh, I said. Yeah. And I'm yelling at this dog and yelling at this dog. And at this time, it's like twilight. He's not coming back. And uh, so I start making my way over towards where the geese are honking, um, which happens to be over by this inlet. And I'm like, I got to go and get him before he takes a stupid move and ends up going out there. Well, yeah. So as I'm trudging over there, I hear plunk crack yeah the ice the the ice breaks my dog is out in the middle of this inlet uh literally trying to pull itself out onto the ice and not having any success while he's whining and crying because he's not getting anywhere so i shed off my parka emptied my pockets took off my glasses and proceeded to get on my belly and start waddling my way out there. And uh, so I get to the dog and I reach out, grab his two front legs and pull him towards me. And he's on the verge of getting up. And then the ice cracks and gives way underneath me. Luckily enough, uh, I let go of him and rolled over, literally. At this point, though, because I had to quickly, I mean, I was scurrying to make sure I was on solid ice um, I realized later that I was pretty much soaked from like my chest down at this point but I didn't fall in all the way scared the bejesus out of me <laughs> I would imagine so God. Um, and then quickly gathered my bearings again and then grabbed the dog again and pulled him up well this time I was successful the ice stayed still well, now that he's up, he's, oh, I'm on ice. I'm just going to walk off and be his thing. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So I literally am on my stomach still, and I grab him on my with my right hand and grab his collar. 
and uh, wake, make my way off the ice the same way I got on, which is basically on my stomach, just kind of pushing myself along. Um, in the military, we would say it's a low crawl, right, as my elbows. We get to the edge. I throw the leash on them. I put on my parka. I'm drenched. Uh, put my glasses on, grab my headphones. So my pants are literally like, I'm like, wow, my legs are really cold. And so when I get out of this muck, like he's kind of running around, getting caught up in trees and all this because of the leash is now on him. I'm just like grabbing him and just plowing through these the brush. I mean, two people, the closest person to me was probably 200 feet away. Uh, in the corner now at this point it's dark like it there's you know the only thing you could see is by lights from the park or the moon now where this happens I live literally quarter mile away it's it's not far um, so I have to walk through the rest of the park cross a major kind of two-lane street and then I'm, I'm home so it's it's not really it's like eighth quarter mile but it was cold, and that guy was, like, wanting to sniff stuff. I'm like, nah, you're done sniffing for the day, buddy. So that's what happened to me on Friday. And since I, and then I went back Saturday to see kind of, like, like in the light where it happened, how far he was out. Um, so Friday I had, a, I had a team building thing for work, and my boss bought me two glasses of single malt bourbon. It was single barrel bourbon. It was really good. I would have taken that. <laughs> yeah, that was I, that was my we, Friday. Yeah, <laughs> somehow mine was less exciting than yours, but but I uh, I must say I will take mine over yours. Freaking dog, man! So stop trying to fucking kill yourself. All right. So, if you don't know how to get out of that predicament, I would go and make sure you know how to do it. It's not very it's not very hard. You just have to really keep your wits about you because once that cold hits you, ooh. It's the shock. Once you hit yeah, ice, ice like, water, it shocks the shit out of you. And you, people will go, <gasps> and then they take a big lung full of nasty freezing water. That and, like, you you, you set into- You panic. You get, you, yeah, you get into I'm kind of effed mode. Um, I have to say, a lot of this, I got to say, man, my military training came in after 30 years. Uh, what kind of training? Off. Army training, sir. <laughs> Army training, man. No, when you when you go through, and this is why you practice and drill certain things, martial arts, hunting, or if you're a shooting sport, if you, you drill and drill and drill and drill, and you do certain things so that it just comes natural to you. So that's you know that that's <clears throat> that's why we do this stuff. So so that's what my Friday was like. Now my wife has come to. She was not very happy for those of you that probably could imagine, but obviously she's overcome it. Um, now she calls us. Um, Tanya Harding and uh, Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, very Affectionately, nice. yes. Yep. So if I'll you don't what, know who man, they look, are, you go you know, look them up. You know, in almost, almost in some weird sort of Wisconsin-esque way, you wanted to talk about waterborne adventures today. Yeah, so serendipitous. So, so it was, I, I look at it as um, research. Right. Personal, in-person, real-life research. You know, before this was brought up on this sh- on this episode. I didn't think of like what about shipborne sh- uh, sh- seafaring adventures in the Arctic, in the Arctic and in ice. Because I tell you what, when I if I were game mastering, I could probably let you know what you're going through quick, like <laughs> when all hell breaks loose. Oh my God! Well, um, 
Jesus. What I got small stuff to talk about other than that. So Sean, seriously though, dude, I'm glad you're alive. That yeah, would, me too, suck. man. Not smart. I should have yelled so this is how I should have done it. I should have yelled for somebody first. You know, and if I didn't have a choice to go get the dog, at least then somebody would have known I was there and they could have got more help. Yeah, stand here, watch me if I go under right. call nine one one even if the person doesn't want to get physically engaged. No, yeah. that's but I, shit, I thought, worst case scenario, I can yell my ass off and somebody's going to hear me and they're going to come and throw something and I'll be able to get out. And, and Seamus stays on his leash from now yeah. on. Yes, he does. Smart man. Yeah. Lesson learned. So there's a little personal, uh, I know some of you appreciate the personal perspectives of our lives and um, that was not, you know, Brett and I going to the grocery store story, so nope. There, there you go, and some insight to that. And you know what? Again, Jeff, uh, Jeff, Brett, this is another thing that gives me perspective, man. Like there is a tons of things in life that just does not freaking matter. No, they should. Like gonna freaking dunk your ass and drown in ice water. Oh yeah, I've been I've been in freezing nasty. Ash cold like when I was uh, deer hunting just a couple weeks ago in Upper Michigan. It was lows of six. That's without the wind. Then it was, I was in the middle of a cedar swamp. <clears throat> it's bitter cold. My father has two fake knees. He's walking behind me. I step over a log. And I stop. And I hear. I turn back. My dad's on his face. My dad's oh, he sixty nine. He's took down. A, took He's a digger on his face. Gun off to the left. He stuck that away and he landed. And I'm like, lucky he didn't fuck me. Could have fired off the gun. Well, no. Safety, no round in chamber. Boom, he's down. So I'm like, okay. Um, I, I look at him. I'm like, he's unconscious. And he, he's like, I'm fine. I'm like, what do you mean? Holy fuck. And he, he has no idea what happened. He just tripped. He nicked oh. his toe or something in the log because his knees aren't the best. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Well, rough terrain for people that can't pick up the legs. Is, yeah, I mean, and I mean, he was doing pretty well, but it was getting later in the day and he was tired. Yeah. And it dawns on me. I'm like, I am two miles from the truck right now. This is a long drag for me to take this big fat Polak out of here. This is not going to be good. My dad's a big dude. I'm like, yeah. Jesus Christ, this would be bad. All right, dad, let's walk this way and move around. That's scary. I think you'd be surprised how far you could carry somebody like him, though. Oh, if I had to? It's my dad? Oh, yeah, I'd get my yeah. dad out. There's no way I'm leaving him. No way. But it's still freaky and scary. Yeah, it is. It's so strange how stuff like this happens. As you say, it's uh, from a perspective gaining point. Lots of other mundane bullshit. Yeah. Kind so when I go to work, away. when I go to work and somebody tells me to go pound sand and quit calling them and doing all this stuff, I'll be just like, whatever, dude. It's all good. Hey, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call you tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> you can't freeze me. You can't freeze me or drown me, motherfucker. I'll you call you tomorrow. You can't shake me, man. It's it's all good. All right, let's talk about gaming, man. Yeah, let's get on to better and better subjects. So announcements: we've got Evercon, Evercon.org. That's coming Evercon. up in January. Check that out. Um, pre-reg, get that in. Gets 35 bucks for the weekend, folks. So get in. You get a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Go. Um, my Avalon Kickstarter, we're on track for mid-December. Everything's looking good. I have seen some of the original, some of the, uh, first bits of sketch art from Matt Morrow around what my lamp lighters are going to look like. And, um, the first sketch he dropped to me, like, fuck me. That's like 90% there. Holy crap. So you got, he's got your vision. He's doing well. Very well. I'm very pleased. Yeah, Makes me very good. happy. John Arcadian, man knows his artists and he knows how to pick them. And Matt is just top notch. So awesome stuff. Um, so we get a we get a 
look at peaky peaky at that or what? Well, I once I get a little, once I get the next version of it, and I'm um, going to Chris and Phil, I'm like, hey, what can I slip over to my patrons to oh to give them a little uh, insight before other people type of thing? So hopefully, hopefully something soon. Now that would be a good segue. It could be yes, because you made some adjustments to the patron. We've talked about this before, but I think you've actually put it into play. What do you, what the hell did you do? It's the beginning of the month, so we wanted to do it early in the month. And frankly, uh, I don't know last month if everybody got charged appropriately. And I would say that as far as it's in your favor, patrons, you're not getting overcharged. Um, I think I forgot to charge for a couple episodes. That is on me. I'm not going back to dick around with that. Regardless, we changed it from a per-episode donation to a per-month donation. So what happens is if you were giving $1 – Per episode, a month, you would get charged either 4 or $5, depending on how many weeks or how many episodes we drop that month. Well, when it gets changed, your pledge doesn't change. It stays to $1, but now you're only going to get charged $1 per month. Well, it's just from simplicity's, simplicity's sake. You and I talked about this before, and I'm like, oh, why would we do that? You laid that out for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's regular. You can say, hey, I've got this set up. That's what'll hit my account. Good enough. Off we go. No, no variation, no vacillation. Your pledge is your pledge. So the folks that were getting like, well, I know my budget was four dollars. I'll give them their four dollars a month or whatever. Now it's down to one. So our our essential money that we were kind of getting through Patreon was cut to like went from like close to three hundred plus dollars to like a hundred just by me sw- hitting a switch. So, if you're willing to change your pay, your your level, then great. If you can't, uh, that's fine too. We know it's the holidays; everybody's got their own priorities. This does allow people that didn't want to donate four dollars a month; they can now donate literally one dollar a month if they want to. And if you can't and you you don't feel up to it, that's okay too. Just we you're listening to our show; that's all that we can ask for. You know, let somebody know about the show. That's more than than helps um, every month, every week, whatever. Um, I'm going to change some of the levels. So I, some of them didn't make sense. Like Brett's never going to shave his beard. And frankly, it should be something that's based on gaming and something along those lines. So we're going to change some of those goals. We're going to change some of the tiers. So the folks that had given at $4 or more will still get their names read at the end of the show. I'll make that as part of the deal um, at that level. And then as uh, we'll put some higher level ones out there where I will run games on a monthly basis, probably every couple weeks, open it up. We're going to have a certain amount of slots. If the demand grows, we'll either have to up up the level or we'll have to get more game masters and DMs. Uh, Brett, I don't know if you're up for it or yeah, not. Yeah, my hope is to get in on that. I just need to get through Evercon. Evercon's that yeah. first weekend, the first big weekend in January, and I've got to make sure I stay focused and knock that sucker out. So, But, yeah, start of the new year, man. There's no reason I can't figure something out. Yeah, so we'll we'll manage out the – handle out the uh, – handle out – We'll get the details kind of in place and what we're thinking. It'll probably be – I know I have one out there for 20 bucks a month or more. Um, and if you, you contribute, then I will run – my goal is to run two sessions a month, um, one every other week, um, one maybe during the week, one maybe during the weekend. Uh, the game 
the game may change. Um, Kevthulu, my buddy, wants to play kids on bikes, so I may run a session of kids on bikes. It may not be a long campaign. We're kind of got to kind of give us some latitude with this because it's not going to be hard and fast. Like, hey, I'm just going to run Tomb of Annihilation and it's going to last forever. And well, I was thinking I mean, along those lines. I've I've talked about Trailer Cthulhu and the Gumshoe system. It would be great to say, hey, I'll run a small. Even if it's a con space game, like, look, we'll run a game for four hours or whatever. There's a lot of different ways to do it, to run games that you and I love that we want to give people a shot at. So, hey, yeah. here's the thing. Let's give it a go. So there's a lot of weird, weird ass shit I could pull my, my old Middle Earth role playing. If somebody really wants to grind through the old role master system, I could get two, three players. We could go through that sucker. So there's some there's a lot of good potential there, Sean. So I think it's this is a good move. I mean, maybe we make a level where you de- you determine the game we run, and then we open it I, up. I know some of our patrons. I don't know if that's a good idea. Well, <laughs> I don't want fatal. Run. I don't want to run fatal. This isn't uh, gonna happen. Anyway, so patron changes, good stuff coming. Very cool. yes, yes. Uh, last thing I had out here, Sean and I, Sean, uh, I believe I'm speaking for you in this. We're planning to go to GaryCon in March, so um, I'll be there. Sean, you you are going, correct? Well, I am. I haven't decided whether I'm going the full weekend or not. I don't know. It's kind of a gimme, but it depends on other things. I plan to be there the full time because okay. I'm no quitter. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not going. quitting. <laughs> no, I know you're not quitting. I'm Jesus. Shit. I did. Brett's giving me grief because I've I've I posted on Google Plus where I was starting to like. You're starting to you're starting to migrate towards me. We get off of Facebook and just kind of focus his social media time. Social media is, uh, some people appreciate it, and some people have a love-hate relationship with it. I am the latter. Well, some people need a break from it. Some people need to say, hey, you know what? I'm uh, I'm done with this shit for a little bit, and I need to step aside and do whatever. So. so Brett's labeled me a quitter. Well, yeah, you're my friend. If I'm not giving you shit, how else do you know I love you? <laughs> That's true. Uh, so we'll see, but anyway, I don't want to get into the social media thing. You'll just if you're, I need to be tied into a few because we post the show and use it for the show. So I can't necessarily delete my Facebook all out uh, unless I have Brett manage it. Uh, we know where that'll go. Oh my God! Why would you? Do, why would you do that to anybody who likes us? That's a terrible idea. That's the patron level zero. That's what you get. Sean to manage the social media of. Yes, give one dollar. Somebody give a dollar, and Sean will continue to do what he does. All right. All right, let's random encounter this sucker. Yeah, let's let's get to random encounter. Uh, Segment of the show where we field voicemails, emails, comments for social media. We've got three voicemails that we want to get through today. The first one is coming from Jason. Jason's going to be talking about the kids' track that he had or his uh, experience at Gamehole Con during the kids' track. So here we go with Jason. Hopefully this will play just fine. Here we go. Hey, Brett, Sean. This is Jason from the Twin Cities. I'll leave in a voicemail because this is going to be a little bit longer, as much as I hate the sound of my own voice. I ran a I was thinking about your episode on kids. I want to share a quick anecdote about my kids' track game. I may have told both of you, but your listeners may be interested. I ran Isle of Dread for a group of kids, 7 through 12. Um, the kids loved it. I had a big map for them to decide their route, and the route happened to take them by a group of pirates. They didn't know they were pirates, and they walk up, hands up, wanting to trade with them. The pirate leader comes out and explains to the children, I will trade you everything you have for your lives. It took a little bit, but they started to figure out they were getting robbed. 
I now know what that look is like on somebody's face the first time they get held up. Um, an eight-year-old girl stepped forward and said, I will duel you for your honor to the pirate leader. The pirate leader said, I got 30 people ready to jump on you. There's no chance you'll survive. Why would I duel you? But she insisted. She said, you need to show your men how honorable you are. Uh, meanwhile, my seven-year-old nephew snuck behind him as a thief for using BX rules and backstabbed him with a two-handed sword, killing him, at which point the uh, PC set upon the pirates, subdued them, and the, one of the girls at our table looked to my nephew and said, well, I guess you're the new pirate captain. The kids absolutely loved it. I would say, based on that experience, my advice is that kids don't necessarily want to play kids' games, and that's the threat's point as well. Yeah, you need to tone down the violence and language and whatnot, but they want to play a game where they're doing the same things that adults do when they play Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I had a great time, and I hope that voicemail came through. Uh, love the show. Keep up the good work. I'll see you guys at the next game, Holcock. That's awesome. <laughs> I love everything about that story. That reminds me so much of the kids' games I've run. That is awesome. Good job, Jason. Yeah, that's great. I don't even know what else to say about that other than super awesome. The only other thing this tells me I need to do is I need to run BX. If I'm going to run something online, I, I got to run a BX game. I've been threatening to do that for a while, and I need to I need to pull that system back out and run it. That it's has got to happen. It's got to happen. I think what I'm going to do with the Patreon, not to go back to that, but I think that's going to be kind of – I'm going to have to switch it up. Like, hey, we're going to play this, then we're going to play that. I think uh, – some old school stuff would be certain. Certainly, it's, good. it's a good welcome. way to scratch. It's a good way and place to scratch that itch for you, me, and perhaps a host of other listeners who are like, "Hey, yeah, I'd like to. I haven't played that in forever. Let's fuck it. I'll, I'll run Shadow. You know, I'll run Shadow Run. I'll run fucking Star Frontiers and do something crazy. So cool. Who we got next, man? Next one is from that guy in Michigan that goes by the name of Kojo. Oh my God, Kojo's back. He's back. Greetings, gentlemen. It's DM Kojo. Hey, I wanted to call first and uh, give a shout-out for um, UConn Gaming Convention that I went to the weekend before Thanksgiving in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, if anyone's looking for a nice little con to go to in uh, that area, definitely check it out. This year it was the same weekend as Game Hole, but that's not always the case. It's a great game. OSR games are well-represented. Uh, I got the game with... Uh, my DCC friends, Brendan LaSalle, Adam Miscavich, great crew. It was a lot of fun. Um, so anyways, UConn is awesome. Also, on your topic about gaming with children, um, thought that was a great topic. I enjoyed it. Um, as you guys, I think, know, I run a gaming club for kids, um, and I'm a teacher. Uh, so a couple things I wanted to add on to the discussion on that. Um, in terms of... Uh, things that you might want to do, I always try to get a permission slip signed by a parent along with contact information so that if something comes up, I can get a hold of parents, uh, things like that. Uh, also, on the same paper, I typically try to get a photo release because if I want to, you know, share pictures with uh, publishers about kids playing their games or anything like that, um, you're going to need the photo releases to be able to do that uh, legally. So that's the thought. Um, and then as far as, uh, the game itself, um, my, uh, kids in my club have played mostly DCC, uh, although we've played some meet and crawl classics, we played, uh, Top Secret New World Order, which they really liked, and, uh, some other things there, uh, Frontier Space we've played. So, 
Um, but in terms of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, I certainly had to tone down some of the elements for, uh, you know, middle school kids. And uh, you have to keep the pace moving, otherwise their attention spans, they, you do tend to lose them, and they wander off doing their own thing in the room if you're uh, not including everybody somehow. So that can be a challenge, but uh, I enjoy that challenge. It keeps me on my toes. Also, I tend to do a lot more of, are you sure that's one you what you want to do or repeat back to them. So you sure that you want to look into the well in the middle of the courtyard? And um, their answer typically is, yes, that's what I want to do. And so, you know, I cover myself on the I told you so front, but uh, they come up with some crazy things, uh, splitting the party four different ways, all kinds of different craziness that uh, keeps me always thinking, always having to adjust on the fly, and as a DM, I love that challenge of uh, the creativity on the fly. So, anyways, it was a great topic, really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully more listeners will uh, do some Game Week because we got it done. I think he got cut off by the timing, but I think he was at the end saying that he hopes that more gamers run for kids well, it keeps, in the future. It keeps the hobby growing, man. I yeah. mean, that's the future. The uh, future of the hobby is getting new people in so that's cool and that's awesome kojo that's some really cool shit man that's awesome and yeah, yeah. I, I i think you're right i mean even what he's talking about is you know the kids are gonna do crazy stuff yet uh do you think i think his um his point about posting pictures and so forth every time i have i've always done it verbally when i've run for the ki- for kids like hey i've got this picture can i post this i'm like oh yeah yeah that's fine that's fine i know the parents of the kids my school is very very small but that's a darn that's a darn good idea because these are children, so it's a good idea to do, cover yourself, and uh, you know, just do the right thing. That's a that's a smart that's a smart call. Cool. I should have I should have played this one before Kojo. Why? Who you got next? Well, it's Chris Shorb. Oh, lay it on me. He Mr. has a Shorb. question. So, hey, Sean and Brett, Chris Shorb here. Hey, I just listened to your episode on kids, and you know, the one question that came to mind is when you are gaming for kids that are not your own. Uh, what do you do when the kids start to act up? How do you handle that? Especially if their parental units are not in the neighborhood. And then the other question that I had, a separate but related topic, is how about gaming with older folks? Getting your parents into gaming, getting your grandparents into gaming, getting their friends into gaming. Wonder if that's a t- I have never heard anybody talk about that topic. It's all about the kids. But what about the older folks? Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you, man, when, in my experience, when I've gained with kids that start acting up whatever, I'm in charge, and it's amazing the number of times you, you can say, not your turn in a second, and you can kind of, you can lay down the law, if you will, gently but firmly, say, hold on, you know, Susan's talking. Hold on, it's Micah's turn. Stop, Micah's turn. Okay. Um... I have only once in the past had to at, tell a child at a game club, like, look, if you can't behave, I'm going to have to ask you to stop playing because you're disrupting the game. Well, I'm sorry. When they realize I am not kidding, they stop. And I get part of that from my martial arts teaching background because I teach children as well as adults in that space. So it doesn't bother me to say, I've warned you twice. One more time, I warn you, you have to leave the game. That doesn't bother me because I've done that to kids in my Taekwondo class. Behave, behave, sit down. But, Mr. B, sit down. You're done. We'll talk to your mom when she gets here as to why you're not in class. You know, <laughs> I've done that before, and I'll do it again if I have to. 
for playing with older people, I could talk to this a little bit. The first group I ever game mastered for was my sister, who's two years younger than me, my mom and my dad. And I was, um, this is like early, like 12, 13 type of thing. So yeah, I could I could talk to that a little bit, but I don't have a ton of background. On that. Sean, have you have you gamed with people, or gotten people into it who are much older than you, like first time no, gamers? No, no, I uh, I have not. No, Mm-mm. I think I tried with my mom when I was a kid, but that's I think some kids like try to do that with their parents, but I wouldn't say like I'm trying to get my mother like current time. I'm not trying to get my mother to play, but you know I I gotta say my my mother in law I've you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of strange, sound, may sound strange, but my mother-in-law has passed away, but when she was with us, she lived in a couple of different places. And they always had like a community room or, you know, some of those. And they're, they're really nice. Like, wow, I could just imagine that. Like, I could play games in that. That's a game room. Right I have been there. to, I have been to those rooms and I'll, I'll see um, some of the old, older folks playing, um, cribbage chess checkers or pinochle or sheep's head or whatever or euchre whatever it is they're playing but i always think about in my head i'm like <laughs> sean and i and lenny and the guys are hanging out here we'll be we'll be just getting gra- crabby about the fact that somebody's running you know why are you running dnd seventh edition fifth edition was fine god damn it you know that's that's where i hope to be someday yeah so i don't know i i, I know why kids are I know the I know the reason why kids are the focus and not the older folks. I know that without a question, um, and you can imagine what that is. It's it's driven by there are people out there not only demand. driven by dollars and yeah. demand. There's more yes. children active in this space, but somebody had and I don't believe it was tongue in cheek was like gaming with older people was a thing. I'll have to see if I can find it. I've seen videos posted. I have of, too. I mean, uh, I think they, it keeps their Cognitive, you yeah. Know, I mean, it's like it's machine going, and yes. So it's a it's a damn good hobby, and it's something you don't have to be. You've got a bad hip, you're stuck in wheelchair. Doesn't matter, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it really doesn't matter. And even if you're just older, my parents are only you know pushing seventies. They're not that old, right. but they're still you know not not nearly as active as the twenty year olds type of thing. So it's less activity than we bowling. Yes. Maybe. Absolutely. Maybe. Perhaps. I guess it depends on how they roll their dice. Yeah. <laughs> how, how violent they get with the die rolls. But going back uh, to uh, the, the, the children piece of Chris Shorb's question, I would Sam Kinnison. Uh That would be the kind of the approach I would take with, with children. Ow, ow. Just yelling. You, shut, shut up, you. You're disturbing. <laughs> wow, you'd get kicked out of every club around. Yeah. You. Well, we'd have to call Alex to help to help with your bail. Don't yeah. do that. Well, that's what the disclaimer's for. Oh, there you go. That DM Kojo. See, this whole three things all come together. They do. <laughs> nice. All right, you want to take on Mr. Barnes's email? <clears throat> Mr. Brandon Barnes emails us about online gaming. Hey guys, thanks for mentioning episode two sixteen. It was great to finally meet you guys face to face on the topic of online gaming. My being in the Air Force is what first got me into doing gaming online. I had to move my Pathfinder group right I had to move from my Pathfinder group right in the middle of a campaign. This was before playing game online was too widespread, so there wasn't a lot of infrastructure in place to make make use of. We came up with a solution of me having two cameras, one for my face and one focused on a dice tray. 
players didn't trust him to roll. Now I know a little bit about Brandon. If I ever game with him, one eye in his dice. Anyway, he continues. On the other side, we had one camera on the map and the other trying to get everyone else in view. It was fun to continue, but there were minor issues here and there. Thankfully, we got the campaign all the way into the end. I find I desperately want to game and generally only do it online anymore. However, it just doesn't feel right to me. I may do uh, to get my gaming fixed, but it doesn't quite quell the desire for wanting to play in person. I think this is really weird given I'm a massive introvert. When talking about this with Eileen, she said she wonders if it has something to do with not being able to read people's body language. I have an actual fear of clowns, people in masks, mascots, and furries, nothing against them personally, and she thinks that might be related. I'm inclined to agree with her. Also, Eileen and I often game together, and we found the best solution is to hook a laptop up to our TV along with a webcam. We're able to comfortably sit back on our couch and have the both of us in the shot. It's like we're playing at our coffee table. It also minimizes distractions, and I'm not tempted to click around on my computer while attempting to focus on the game. A wireless keyboard and a mouse are needed for any sort of interaction with tactical maps. Otherwise, while playing the game like Hydro Hackers, we can just use clipboards with our character sheets and a shared dice tower. Again, uh, great to see you guys. We'll be, they will be leveling up at GameholeCon and hope one day to make it to Evercon. Very cool, Brandon. Thanks, man. Good to hear from you. And, it, of course, it was great to see you and Eileen. You two are awesome. Yes. Thank you on all accounts. Uh, Matt Cyberlick on Gaming with Children's. Hey, Brett and Sean, listen to episode 217 and had a couple of comments that hopefully are useful. I think that it would, one, I think it would be wise for anyone running a game for kids to do a little quick research on child development. Justin is, as an example, until about age eight, kids are really concrete. Nuance will generally be lost on them, so maybe save the cleverly interwoven plots for another audience. All right. Number two. Unless I missed it, one thing that was missing from your discussion was involvement from parents. Pulling the table regarding past gaming and media exposure is, I agree, a great way to get an idea of what is allowed at home. Unfortunately, I'd say that most kids usually won't do a good job of, A, being self-aware enough to know what they are comfortable with, because they probably don't know what they don't know, right? B, overcoming peer and other social pressures that would allow them to be truthful at the gaming table and see aligning their wishes with regards to content to that of their parents, which in my opinion should be the rule until a certain age. Maybe have a little questionnaire filled out by a parent guardian with some questions regarding appropriate content, the child's personality and the child's likes or dislikes. I think this might take the good ideas Brett had, but bring the parents into it. And then third, I think it, I think that it is critically important that game masters do not use themselves as the barometer for what is appropriate and also enjoyable for the table. This applies for tables of adults, but is especially critical for kids. The content should be scaled to the most sensitive player. That's pretty much it. Thanks for the read. Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah, you can obviously see how I was short-sighted in this a little bit topic. way off it's interesting <laughs> and this is why we invited people like like matt to write in and, and talk about this stuff with us you know you try to cover everything you can um when you talk about something like this but i think the um not using yourself as the barometer for what's appropriate is absolutely key i think it's not only just for kids but also for adults it's a damn fine um observation there mr cyberlick and uh, you know the the brain the parents long is interesting the times I have gained with kids, the parents are usually like, Oh, I'll come back when it's done <laughs> type of thing. They don't they don't want to be involved. 
And when I've asked parents, like, hey, the game's about this, that, or the other thing, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He he plays a lot of video games. Oh, she plays, she plays, oh, she watches this or whatever. I'm sure she'll be fine. <laughs> and I, I have a very difficult time, quite frankly, getting some of the parents to actually pay attention to what I'm telling them. So um, I've had to do a lot more of my kind of sorting things out by paying attention to the to the kids because I find a lot of the parents, unfortunately, tend to be not very engaged, which is a little annoying. Sean, yeah. anything else, man? No, that's it for uh, Random Encounter for this week. Thank you for everybody who called and uh, messaged us. No, that was all good stuff. Very good perspectives and um, good thoughts. I love it. So that was really cool. Yeah, let's get into it. Shall we move on? Let's move on. Yeah. All right, Brett. No, you tell me, Sean. What are we talking about today? That's a, a well, Brett. I thought we would talk about seafaring adventures. You're talking about ships, pirates, storms, dragon turtles. Yes, Brett. All of the above. River, lake, actual seas and oceans, anything. You bet. Okay. So I got to lead off with one of my favorite waterborne adventure stories. Oh, please, by all means. Eric Schaefer, game master of uh, my groups in high school. Eric was an awesome game master. I learned a lot from him. And anytime we'd want to get somewhere across Greyhawk or the realms, we'd look at the map. He had these wonderful, he had the Grey, Greyhawk map, or he'd have the Forgotten Realms maps laid out. You get in the box set. Like, all right, we're trying to go here. All right, it's going to take you to get the little grid out. You figure out how long it is. Someone would say, hey, there's a river or a lake. Eric, how long would it take to get there by water? Fuck, fine, you're there. He hated, hated waterborne adventures. And to this day, I don't remember what the reason was. It just was the joke in the group, one of the jokes. Eric hated them so much. And I got it. <laughs> every time I hear waterborne adventures, I just I, I imagine all of the times we said, we get on a boat. Fuck it, you're there. <laughs> that, was, that was just... <laughs> Whenever we're tired of overland travel, the one random encounters, get on a boat. Shafe will just take it to the end every time. Easy money. Easy money. Well, it's something that I don't think gets a lot of uh, traction as far as topics go. And I thought, you know, what the hell? There's a few good adventures out there that have to do with water. Name one. Uh, Sinister's, uh, Salt Marsh of, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. But you're on land investigating a thing. No, I know, but I think there's a boat component to it, if I'm not mistaken. Am I wrong? No, the, I, I believe there is. It's been forever since I've read it. But even, I mean, uh, Jason mentioned, uh, Isle of Dread. You're on yeah. an island. You crash land on the island or you arrive there. Adventure occurs there. I know there are, uh, adventure paths out there for pirates and so on. I know, I know there was a, um. Hell, there was even a sci-fi game back in the 80s, early 90s, about it was all water. Like you could play a sentient orca hmm. as a character class and so forth. God, I cannot remember for life. Somebody's gonna someone's screaming at their radio right now, going, God damn it, Brett, it's it, water world. It's not water world, I can't remember what the hell it is. But I do not have a lot of uh I don't have a lot of games that I can look back and say, oh, yeah, it was focused on seafaring, high seas, pirate action, because at some point it was like that was a a piece of the overall campaign. It was never like the campaign where you would occasionally dock or you would occasionally go from place to 
place to place, but the main action took place on the deck of the ship on the water. Have you ever had one of those campaigns where it's like all water all the time? I started running Skull and Shackles, which is the Paizo. How far did you get? I think I ran the first module. Cool. Okay. I didn't. I have all of it. I have the full six modules that come in the series. So how long? Uh, so it's six modules. Yeah, it's like level one a, through twenty. If I'm oh, not that's mistaken. A, that's a hefty. That's a hefty yeah. adventure path. Oh yeah. Most of it, or are you telling me what you've read is that like ninety percent on the water and in a boat doing boat stuff? Well, a majority of it is that you're. Well, okay. So the beginning of the adventure path is you're basically press ganged and to being a part of a crew. Of a ship called the Wormwood, a pirate ship. Okay. So there's the life on the ship and drinking grog and, you know, vying for jobs on the ship and the different personalities that are on a ship. This sounds like every minimum wage job I've ever had. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. And people do this for fun. So they, yeah, so they, there's that component. Um, but the nice thing about it is that you end up, you know, do you become part of the new crew or do you remain swabs or do you seize control? Yes, all those options are there. Or yeah. do you come across another ship? And then what happens? Do you take do you take control or do you kind of follow orders? Mm-hmm. I've run um, in my Avalon setting. I had there, there's a ship called the Lady Madonna, which I think I have had appear and get sunk and burned and sunk and reappear about half a dozen times. It's she just... has children at her feet? No, there's something very special about the ship that no one's yet figured out. But it was, there were components of it because it's a port city where people are like, hey, we're going to get on a boat. We have to go get something. People have fought aboleths on boat. They have gone far out into basically the aquatic version of the Outlands where they found islands and so on. My buddies Lenny and, and Beta went on a huge trip just to escape Avalon from their characters' perspectives. Um, And I have done, like, river travel and so forth, but it's always been, like, a car ride, like a road trip, right? You're going from here to GaryCon. You're going from here to New York or whatever it is. It's not life on the boat for a very prolonged period of time. So I've never run a campaign... Like, unless, unless you look at a sci-fi game, like a Star Trek game or something, where you're on the ship all the fucking time. Right. This, would you consider that, quote-unquote, seafaring insofar as you're on the Starship Enterprise? You, That's your life. <laughs> I mean, you, you go places, you beam up or beam down to different planets and so on. But it always seems like it's a conveyance, der, uh, to get you from one place to another. I've not run a game where the bulk of the action takes place on the water. I wonder if I should. You should, Brett. Do you want to, Sean? Is that why you brought this damn thing up? Well, you know, it's <laughs> it's because we could talk about anything. And I thought, we don't talk about sailing on the seven seas or being a pirate or even a privateer, for that matter. The other, the other, yeah. So the fact that we don't, we just, and obviously <laughs> on your recent personal crises, um, which apparently there's a lot of in 2018, the idea of, you know, sailing a ship and then running into ice flows, freezing cold water, having to 
I've had it where people weren't sailing a ship. What they were trying to do was they were helping a logging camp float the logs down the river. And in the process of floating down the river, there were bandits and other nasty things and so on. So they had to navigate and deal with the water. Um, dealing with water is very, very tricky. I mean, this is one of those cases where you better, you and your players need to know the swimming rules and the drowning rules right freaking fast. Those need to be top of mind, taped or printed out, whatever, back your um, GM screen or for five, the players to read because you got five e five e one minute per con. With, you can hold your breath, yeah. Modifier, which is crazy to think that you could hold your breath four for like minutes. Four minutes. It's a really long time. A friend of mine complained about that, and I said, "Dude, it's a heroic fantasy game." Yeah, I know, but listen, li- listen, listen. I can cast time stop, but I can't hold my breath for four minutes. Come on. Anywho. I think um, there's pieces of water crossings. You know, you watch movies and they're going from here to there. And we talk about all the random encounters that happen on land. We've talked about making land travel more interesting. And all those really great water monsters that are in the monster manual. Dragon turtles. Fuck. I, I don't get to run. Krakens. Um, huge sea serpents. You know, water dragons. Merfolk. Um God, all that crap. There's tons and tons of different things out there. And um, even if it's a matter of those things are starting to invade, right? You get your fish folk, your nasty kuatoa, which are invading this island or whatever. Then you've got to go out into the water to find their island and take care of it or, or whatever the case is. I think there's something, at least for me anyway, there's almost something scary in a way about water because we don't breathe water. I'm not a big... I can swim and I don't mind. I go fishing and so on. I've been on the ocean. But when I've been on the ocean and you realize how fucking huge it is and how deep it is and you see shark fins and whales and gigantic things like, holy shit, everything in here wants to eat me <laughs> on land. You know, bears oftentimes like, ah, that's a man. And they walk away. Ah, I don't like that. It's 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 people. Ah, I don't I don't want to deal with her, says the elephant. And meat. So sometimes animals get a little funky, but. Generally speaking, if you're underwater, everything's like, ah, that's food. <laughs> Everything will fucking eat you in the water. I've been I've been wading across the water and had a crawfish or a crayfish, depending on how you want to pronounce it, pinch me because <laughs> I got too close to it. <laughs> Everything in the water wants a piece of you. It's dangerous as hell. It's like Australia. It, it, it's almost as bad as Australia. It's almost as bad as Australia. Do it's worse than just Australia? The water around Australia. The water around Australia. Yeah. They have the world's most poisonous sea snakes and all that crazy shit. Yeah. Anyway, I think um, when you brought it up, I, I again, remembered Eric and his I Hate Waterborne Adventures. But there is, and there's these crazy limitations that come with it. You can't breathe underwater. So if there's if you sink the boat and the treasure's going down, it's gone. It's just gone. Or is it? Or do you have a way to go get it? And then there's time. How long does that water breathing spell last? About five minutes. How far is that magic sword falling? Let's see what you, let's see what you can do. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> exactly. I, I didn't even have that. Like this past weekend, I had a guy that went down a well into a cistern that was flooded. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you go down, geez, I think it was 40 feet before you hit water. And then when you're at the bottom... There's no air. So, I mean, there's no pockets. Like, Oops. well, I swim around and there's a pocket. I can just, no, it's. No. Just and water. it's dark. And then 
they find something. There's a scene in the movie The Thirteenth Warrior where Antonio Banderas and the group are on this cave, and they find this underwater river that they think leads out into the ocean. And they look at each other, and they need to escape because the bad guys are coming. It's not good. They're trapped in this dead-end gully underground in this cave. What do we do? Will it make it? Do we swim, or do we die trying? And they hear the noise, and the leader looks looks at them and says, try it. But he strips off their stuff, and the one here, guy looks at Antonio's character and says, well, we'll know if it doesn't work because it won't follow us. That means it's too far to swim, and they all dive under. And I have watched it. I love that movie, and I've watched it. And on occasion, as soon as they go under, my son, AJ, and I'll have, our, our game is, ready, one, two, and try to hold your breath for the time the camera shots go. And by the time Banderas comes to the top, you're like, like, it hurts. There is, um, like I said, water scary. And it, instead of making it like just a creek or something you have to cross, when it's big and deep and mysterious, that's funky. You look at the underground rivers and lakes that it, that'll be in certain dungeons. You cannot see what's at the bottom. And you want to stymie a group of players going through a dungeon cavern or something where it's collapsed or even if it's natural caverns or there's orcs or trolls, and you come upon something that could be a lake. You hear distant drips distant plops of where the water is maybe somewhere from way out in the darkness falling from a great height and landing on this underground lake. What the fuck is in that lake? You don't know. And it's scary because you can't see it. And there's like, who has water breathing? Does anybody know what water breathing? Do you know how to swim? I don't know. How long do we hold our breath? Everybody wants to do stuff, but it's very terrifying. And uh, you know, it's almost as good as having the monsters surrender to your players. They won't know what the fuck to do. Hey, water. God damn it. There may be treasure in the bottom. Oh, there's treasure in the bottom. What do we do? What do we do? It's interesting. I hadn't thought about just water itself, but and then the the storms we've talked about. Anything on land, you just dump on the water. Yep, typhoon. Yep, hurricane. Hey, guess what's twice as dangerous? Being in a hurricane on the goddamn ocean as opposed to being on land. It's nasty. You know, high swelling waves, the perfect watch the perfect storm, and you'll be fucking terrified of the water. You know. Interesting. Yeah, and no, uh, you know, armor and stuff like that starts to take a whole different perspective. Up, oh, who's who's wearing metal? And my buddy Nick, he was running a Star Wars game I'm playing in. We're on a little bit of hiatus now because of hunting season and other other things we got cooking. But we had to go to this planet. The entire planet is flooded. The pyramid that we needed to get to is at the bottom. So we got to go find a submersible. Blah blah blah. And we're down there and. He's describing the pings, the pops, the and we're like, this this might not be good. Um, the ship is up there. This is a this is one of those Star Wars games where Brett can't sit in the ship the whole time because I got to go in the water. Right. So Nick found out how to get me a ship, put me in a different ship, and put me in the water. Right. And it was creepy because your light only goes so far. You can't see things. Shadows are different. Up and down, it's wonky. Talk to people who scuba scuba dive, and um, in, at night. And what that can be like. It's creepy as hell. Sean, would you... So that, I mean, that was a sci-fi game with you know a water element in it. We had high-end tech to help us deal with this, but it was still water in a sci-fi game. Took a, it took a bunch of would-be Jedi. I'm not fucking going in there. Everybody got scared because of the water. It was crazy. What do you think about water? What do you think about this, Sean? I'm blathering here a bit. It's, it's making me want to run a waterborne adventure, I guess, more than anything else. Yeah, well, you can also 
you know, run in modern day where it's maybe not seafaring as much as it is just water-based. And, you know, what is it? Um, We've got pirates now, oil rigs. Six? Is that the movie? I can't remember. Could Star Six? Um, I mean, you take a um, Knights Black yeah. Agents game, set it near an oil rig or a pirate or a Somali pirates grab a ship that's actually a vampire heading from one place to another, and you're. That's. <laughs> That is something I always wanted to do in my old Vampire the Masquerade games. Get the guys on a boat. Sail them from like the U.S. to Europe or somewhere else. Get them on a ship. And at a certain point, there's no more food. <laughs> because like a sickness or something. It just gets crazy. Because you can't go outside. There's no shade. You have to stay in the, you have to stay in the boat. It, you just from a claustrophobic, crazy-ass perspective. Interesting. Yeah, I wish I would. I mean, I I have to say I'm not a big literature fan, but I there's there's a lot of novels I wish I had read. One of them would have been like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. That's a fun one. Um, but there's tons of movies that take place underwater. Not tons, but there's a few. I mean, even a modern adventure in a submarine. Yeah, or even um, well, you know, Hunt for Red October. Yeah. Um, Meg, which is the newer one with Jason Statham, which is kind of goofy and corny, but Jaws, any like big ass shark movie, Jaws. you have to go into the water to deal with a problem. Gonna need a bigger boat. Yeah. But when you, I think the, one of the pieces for this is that even if the player's like, look, I don't want to be pirates. I only want to foray into this. You go with, there is a thing in the water you must deal with. Be the dragon turtle that's causing havoc, wreaking havoc on the shipping lanes. No one can come back. It, it's just not, you know, there, there's pro- or there's pirates causing problems or whatever it is. There's a problem at sea in some way, shape, or form that you have to go deal with, you know? And that it's almost like space combat in a way where your ship has to go deal with these other ships. Problem. And if something bad happens to your ship, you're stuck in space. It's not a really good place to be. It's like bad happens to your, you know, your boat on, you know, in whatever fantasy or modern world you're in, in the middle of the ocean, that would be really bad for you. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, ratcheting up the drama of having, you know, the boat catches fire, there's holes in it, it's sinking, someone rams into you. There's a lot of crazy tactical stuff that can happen. And then have that combat happen in the middle of, um, of a storm where it's pitching and turning and rolling, it could give it in crazier. Damn, now I want to run a waterborne campaign with BX. Gotta we gotta watch Master and Commander. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be an interesting one too. I've not seen that in forever. Yeah. They gotta hunt down a they gotta find a French uh mm-hmm. French vessel off South African co- coast. So South Sean, American. If you were gonna run a if you were gonna run a, a waterborne seafaring type adventure, what would you would you want to do it like you're on a boat and you're you're pirates and that's your thing? Like the, I'm the on shackles? A boat. I'm on a motherfucker. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well like the, the, the shackles campaign you're talking about. Is that kind of your groove? Or are you thinking more of what I was saying is like going into the water, solve a problem, and come back to land or or how Well Because I, I think of like some of the spy stuff you like, like cold shadows. Oil rigs and just people going in and out on boats and or uh, cruise ships. I actually had a have a Call of Cthulhu game that takes place on a cruise ship that I wrote a number of years ago, which I always wanted to pull back out. Anyway, what do you what would you do with this? 
Well, it would depend on whether or not the players would want like their angle of of wanting to where would they want to be? How wet do you want to get? How wet? How landlubber do they want to be? So if they want to be pirates, well, that's a no-brainer. If they want to be privateers, well, that's kind of a no-brainer as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, and I think there's so many, with Skull and Shackles, it started off a little slow because you're press gang then to a crew, and the beginning of the adventure is kind of, uh, you know, getting to know the NPCs, and then you're always constantly, so the the point of, piracy in the back or the times when people would get, which first of all, you're bored as hell because you're on a ship and you're having to be tasked with doing things. So people are having to rely on you to tie knots properly and be that camaraderie. And then at the same time, they're giving you a grog. So you're complicit. Yeah. Where, so that takes, so a lot of that plays a role in the first, the Wormwood mutiny adventure module. Okay. But it, you got to move it along. Like I think when I first started that one, it was just moving too slow. Like, okay, we're kind of doing this now. What? But I mean, there's so many. There is a lot that that arc, that campaign arc is pretty cool. I mean, the, some of the things that they have you do and what's all involved, because there's different people and personalities on the high seas. So you may run into somebody and you're like, well, what are you gonna do? Or they may have you do something, and if you don't do it, then what happens? You may have to be in a race. Like maybe there's a race that's involved and what does that look like? Or you have to go somewhere and it's more of a A to B destination thing. And then whatever happens in between, I would, I don't know. It, it depends on how watery you want to get, you know, in, um, in the Avanti game that I did with, um, Kevin, Tom, Andy from Jesus super geek. And it was basically our, after my Avalon wrapped up, uh, Andy ran her Avanti world, which is very water based. A lot of, a lot of it. We were in the water, Going to finding it was very high magic world, talking dolphins and um, water dragons, and we had to swim a lot <laughs> to get on ships and deal with pirates and all sorts of things. And it's um, it's a different it's a different feel. It was it was fun as a player to to have that thing to deal with. Like, look, I'm stuck on this boat, and something's coming at us. We have to deal with it. Um. Sawahin are trying to jump on the boat to get at us, so we got to kill them and battle this and deal with people trying to board us and other, you know, we'll be calmed. We have to deal with the fact that we'll be calmed and, and sort that out. But I think you're right. One of the things that would make such a, a game boring would be to focus too much on some of the minutia, which is similar to overland travel we talked about. Like, all right, so what do you do? Well, I try to gather uh, some dry wood. Give me a roll. You can't right. find any dry wood. Well, I try to <laughs> I try to light a fire to get warm. Give me a roll. Oh, for fuck's sake! You know, if you draw it out and be, make it too painful, people immediately have a very, at least in my opinion, would have a strong dislike for your seaborne adventure. It's not that you want to hand wave certain things, and you can still stress the difficulties, the challenges, and all of that stuff. But that's where I think Chad Knight was talking to me once about Skull and Shackles too, and he was having a hard time with the. Uh, I can't remember if he was having a hard time with it or what, but he was asking me some advice and some thoughts, and we both came up with the we should you should move this along. You know, yeah, you gotta move, instead of just having weeks or days of get up, roll on a couple of random charts and see what job you picked and this, that, and the other thing. Kind yeah, of, that's what it was. Kind of crunch through this a little bit faster. It's, you know, it's like any other adventure. Some people like it a certain way versus others, but that would be my advice: is that 
as you're doing this, think of it as overland travel insofar as that the minutia, well, it can be interesting to say, yes, it was really difficult to light a fire tonight because it was super wet and so on and so forth. Good, great, thank you for the color. Yes, the grog was terrible. Please don't make me roll to see if I the grog made me sick again, please. You know. Well, there's <laughs> an addiction component to it that they, they roll into that. Oh, for God's sakes. Yeah, so it, it, the, the first one could have been done a little bit, I think, better, but I think the spirit after they were going after or the spirit of which they were going after made sense and could be interesting, but I think it got to be a little bit too much. Well, I think that goes directly to what you just said. You know, what, what, how wet do you want to get? How much land lover, how much seafaring and so on. And if that campaign, that, that story, that path, uh, excuse me, um, that adventure path was lined with a certain tone in mind. And when you read that, say, Hey, you know what? My crew isn't going to want a game with 15 random charts every day, I'm making up a number. Um, we'd rather just roll once or twice and say, this is what happens this week. And punch, excuse me, punch through and get to the end. Or something more exciting where there's either a mutiny or something's happening. You're still on the ship. You're still on the boat. Things are happening. And you're dealing with the minutia of the fact that it's pitching and rolling in the swells. You've got salt water coming over the top. You're being boarded. The sails are torn. You can deal with all that stuff, but without having to drag out the do you feel like you're on a ship yet feeling because I think you can get that faster much like again overland travel and so on but I think and eventually you're going to have if you were to run even the Wormwood or the um, Skull and Shackles adventure path you do get on land and of course that's what I think you'd have to do eventually is you can only do so many so much things at sea and then I think you have to there's put only so component. much great food and water you can do before you've got to go somewhere to get your vitamin C, you scurvy dog. Yeah. Well, then once you get on an island, then what do you do? You probably got to explore the island. You probably want to hide your treasure if you got treasure. If you're smart, you leave somebody on the ship to fire the guns. Right. Anybody that comes to try to sink your ship. Right. I volunteer to be that character. Right. Rightfully <laughs> so. Yeah. The ship's in good hands when Brett's standing at the helm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, when you when you go and you're in a ship, and uh, I did have this experience when uh, Lenny and Beta's characters went out across um, across the sea outside of Avalon, and they landed on an island. They were poking around. They got up for a certain point, and I said, well, it's getting dark. What do you want to do? And then we go back to the ship. I'm like, well, yeah, but this thing's happening. <laughs> like, that's our only way off this rock. We have no idea how big this is or how dangerous this is. We've seen signs of danger. We're going back to the boat just in case. But I never, I hadn't even dawned on me, quite frankly, to smash their boat up. But it's the classic: we take our mules to the outside the dungeon, come out, the horses are dead or gone. Son of a bitch! You know, whatever they get, you take away, and that's. I have, I would think that case taught me that, and I would think going forward, certain characters will turtle a little bit, or players will turtle, i.e., not wanting to be too crazy about leaving the ship. In my defense in Sean's Star Wars game, the reason I stayed on there was because I had a very distinct feeling that we were not the only people on the salvage mission we were on, and I did not want our ship to be taken and destroyed and come back and get stuck on the stupid jungle. So that was why I was doing it. However, I can see, as as a game master, I can see having that in the back of your mind, that what happens when you put them on an island? If every time they go on a seafaring adventure or anything like that, you smash their ship and stick them on a desert island... 
they're going to be a little uh, a little hesitant. You can't do it all the time. That That's one of those, over, it's like dead babies. You can only have them so often. Yeah, there's only so many tropes you can kind of pound down players' throats. Interesting. So I guess the question out there is that, are, have any of our listeners run Skull and Shackles or anything else? Sci-fi game, fantasy game, Call of Cthulhu game, anything that has been where the focus is the campaign is on a ship. Maybe even a one-shot. One-shot's a little, little iffier because I'm wondering about the longevity of keeping a waterborne campaign going, where that's the focus of it. Yeah, you're going to land, you go to Tartuga, you'll go here, you'll go there, you'll land somewhere off of Carcosa, and you'll go deal with stuff. But if the thrust of the campaign is waterborne, ship-based type adventuring, I'm wondering how that went. I, I mean, I've, I kind of want to take Traveler out of it. I've played Traveler and 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 so forth, but maybe that's maybe that's kind of in in the mix here. But I'm curious what what some of our listeners have dealt with, done with, and uh, what they've loved, what they've hated, or if they did it, what they'd like to do. Be an interesting West Marches game if it was seafaring. Yes, even if it was from one point to another. What's on this island? What's on that island? Interesting. And think about the West Marchers approach. Yeah, and never, and never mind the ghost ship. That's of course when the lady sails Madonna, out there. Yeah, when Lady Madonna comes out of the fog. Yeah, with the children you know, at her feet. Exactly. Yeah, it's ugly. That's right. Nice. Okay. Cool. You yeah, ready? So let us know. And if you get an itch to run a waterborne campaign. Sweet. All right, man. Let's move it on. Dairo. Right. I don't have it on there, but I will when you get this show. I'll put a a link to the Adventure Path. I'll, I'll link to the Pathfinder Wiki um, that outlines the the uh, uh, Skull and Shackles campaign, so you can look at it. And it's got a synopsis for each adventure nice. module. Yeah, that so- kind of sums up what it's about. So I was at a loss for this one. So, Sean, what have you got? I mean, we've posted up other things. I mean, you can go out online and find a ghost ship pops up here or submarine found, those type of things. Those always feel like kind of a, a one and done. I'm tr- I was trying to think of where I should look for. Can't, I completely forgot about Skull and Shackles. So, anyway, what else have you got, Sean? Well, there's 7th C, too. We didn't uh, talk about John Wick's game, but I've never played 7th C. I only played once at QCC like two years ago, and it was a one-shot. I have the book. I have not... I started reading it, got distracted, and haven't finished it. But, yeah, there's uh, plenty of action there. So um, I have one link that's the I came up with, free 5e nautical adventures PDF from Ronnie at Old Dungeon Master blog. So Ronnie had done, I think, this kind of iteration for 3.5, and then he ported it to 5e. So if you're interested in it's a free PDF. So if you want to get a reference point from that fine person that provided it to the masses. Check that out. Yeah, quote off that one. This is a complete rewrite of the ship-to-ship combat rules I published before. So he has put this together, yeah, 3.5 version, as you said, and he's got the, uh, this is all 5 e up. So pretty cool. Looks neat. Then the last one, 50C Adventure Book, or Adventure Hooks for your role-playing campaign on the online tabletop website. So if you want a few ideas, you could probably find 50 there. There's some good stuff. Cartographer is asked to make a map of Newfound Island. 
protect and assist. After two weeks at sea, the party finds out the stranger secretly boarded the ship in their last port. Oh. Well, goddamn, that's good stuff. I'm going to have to keep... I'm going to bookmark that fucker. That's what I'm going to do. I like that. There you go. Cool, man. Yeah. Cool. So that's what we have for you this week. Next week? Sean wants to talk about organized play. Yeah, and I've heard some folks say, yes, it would be nice to hear about organized play and not necessarily AL. Okay. League. Now, I know my buddy Jimmy runs Shadowrun mm-hmm. for Catalyst Games, and we talked a little bit about that. So I think from we'll talk about what it's about for people that have never heard of it or never partaken in it, why somebody would want to be uh, familiar with organized play, some of the things that have come up in organized play that some people do not like and some people do like, and some of the different organized play, there's a, there's surprisingly, I think a lot of people aren't aware. I believe Chaosium has a Call of Cthulhu organized play, I yeah. think. They did, there's at least the, they announced it a, a while ago. Yeah, they announced that. There's the the Paizo stuff, Adventures yep. League, Shadowrun. There's a bunch of them. You know, quite honestly, just as a call, a call to arms, if you will, to our listeners, if you lovely men and women out there, boys and girls, know of any organized play other than Adventures League or the Pathfinder Society stuff, send it to us. Hit us with an email, voicemail, um, whatever it is you could do. Post it up. We'll still watch. I'll, I'll watch G+, even if Sean ignores us over there. Um, me, we, Facebook, wherever you got to. But hit us with it because I'm interested to see what's out there um, because I think some of the different, some of the distaste that I may have when I naturally hear about it may be because of my perception of what it's all about, including perhaps the type of game that I see it's for. So, And if nothing else, if there's a, a really kick-ass list somewhere, point us at the list because I'd love to be able to share that with the rest of the listeners and say, hey, if you really like this type of game, there's organized play out there for you, which means support and so on. So, Anyway, cool. Sweet, man. So that's what we're looking for for you. Two things. When you hear this, mm-hmm. one, if you know about organized play other than Adventurers League and D&D, let us, us know. Let us know. And two, sign up for email. Yes. On our website at this gamingnbs.com. Give us your email because we want to spam you. Well, that's, that's probably our... It's not very marketable, right, when I say that. Yeah. It's it's Brett and spam, basically. What it is. But we want to kick up some of the things to, to get, like, for info for you people. Yeah, no, it's like, a good idea. So, all right. Well, that's it for 219. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. Episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Minert, Brian Kurtz, Kevin Lovecraft, Corey Welch, Kyle Winner, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, and Joe Swick. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.